0: Recorded at Get a Grip Studios in Toronto, Canada, a Get a Grip Management production and in association with the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Financially supported by the good folks at the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, this is Restoring Darkness Podcast.
1: This episode of Restoring Darkness is brought to you by Evluma. If you're serious about contributing to the reduction of light pollution, go to evluma.com hover over products, and click on Dark Sky Friendly Lighting. Both the Omnimax and Max lights are International Dark Sky Association certified. The warmer colour temperatures of the Omnimax reduce the more easily scattered blue wavelengths, which contribute to glare and sky glow. With AreaMax lights, you get full cutoff, which also means no uplight and a significantly reduced contribution to sky glow. And all of Evluma's outdoor lighting product lines come with dimmable drivers for even more control. If your customer is looking for dark sky friendly fixtures with energy savings while still meeting the demands of decorative lighting, look no further than Evluma. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of dark skies.
0: Welcome back and thank you for for joining us here on Restoring Darkness. If you're watching this and not listening you'll notice that i have a new green screen background beautiful starry sky there um and we're making a lot of format changes to the show so get ready for that it's going to be a, a new show and completely new format coming in probably june A eh, scott i'm looking at my producer we're, we're going back and forth but we're changing a lot of things but today we're honored to have mike houghton mike is the is head of nature recovery projects at north york moors national park a protected upland landscape and International Dark Sky Reserve in the north of England. As well as delivery of landscape scale nature recovery projects within the Conservation and Climate Change Department Mike is also the lead officer for Dark Skies at the National Park Authority. Mike's initial involvement with Dark Skies at the National Park started six years ago with a project to further develop a Dark Skies Festival and to encourage businesses to collaborate and to become Dark Skies friendly. Mike oversaw the application to become an international dark sky reserve from inception to successful designation. As well as the benefits for stargazing and the rural economy, the National Park Authority works actively to protect and improve nocturnal habitats and and connectivity through planning policies and a dark skies lighting improvement funding scheme. We got money! Mike also set up a number of protected landscapes to share best practices and supports those on their respective dark sky journeys the North York Moors National Park is also part of a national forum looking to influence government on lighting policy which has started with the all parliamentary group for dark skies welcome to restoring
2: darkness Mike Cotton. hello there it's a nice long introduction
0: yes well you know it's you know we kind of just get the scope out there and let people sort of settle into what we're going to talk about here and first of all i'd like to say congratulations um on the designation uh when did you guys officially get it
2: so we've had it just over two years um mm. so December just gone we've we had it two years um I'd say really uh, the, the the work started probably a good six years if not more um before then so it's quite a long journey um from from having an idea that we might want to become a dark sky reserve to actually going through you know the whole application process all of the background that's needed to uh to show that we are um, you know, a dark enough area to be an International Dark Sky Reserve. Uh, and I have to say that the coverage we've had uh, because of that has been incredible. And year on year, the interest, whether it's from the public or from the press, just never seems to reduce. It just picks up all the time. And I'm, I'm really pleased to say that this year, we've seen a marked change in that interest. And now it's not just about the festival and the enjoyment. It really is about light pollution. So people are really sitting up and taking notice of this.
0: You know we we often talk about um restoring darkness and preserving night on this show as something you know as a movement and it's gaining momentum and we want to restore darkness where we have light pollution and we want to preserve it where night is is pristine and so you know you can see the public is starting to grab onto this issue, one of the things that I think is changing and and you tell me from what you've heard in the publicity and the and the and the news from visitors and all that are people starting to consider light pollution as pollution and not a metaphor uh
2: yes uh, almost certainly when whenever we we talk about dark skies whenever we 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 run a presentation um and i've i I did a quick tally actually for our ida annual report and i think i've done something like 100 visits to different organizations to talk about dark skies with them over the period of of a couple of years um and the great thing about dark skies is that that there's not just one single reason why they're important. So now you, mm. we, look at, we look at culture and mindfulness, we look at nature, we talk mm. about uh, human health, we talk about energy usage, the rural economy, um, and, and education. And in, in every single room, at least one of those things will appeal to somebody, even the hardest-nosed individual you know, if they're not bothered about culture, they're not interested in wildlife, you know, um, they're probably bothered about their own health or about, uh, in the current climate, about energy usage. Mm. Uh, and so we're certainly starting to see people really, really sit up and take note and think about all of those elements, you know, not just one single element. Um, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword at the moment, we feel, with the the kind of the energy um, crisis, if we want to call it that, in that... On the one hand, the 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 upside is people are really considering whether they should be leaving their lights on, mm-hmm. um, you know, all night. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have lots of, of uh, focus at the moment, as I'm sure um, all places around the world do, on, on carbon reduction, uh, mm-hmm. on how we do that, how we reduce energy. And there's a lot of discussion in this country about home insulation and how that's the single biggest uh win that, that the government could make in terms of reducing and,
0: wrong I totally I disagree with that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and and there are there are lots of different uh obviously contributors to that. But if we look at light pollution for example, it's a little bit tongue in cheek to say, but it's one of the easiest forms of pollution to solve. You know, you can solve it at the flick of a switch. We have
0: all the technology. We have all the uh it's not a it's not a research and development question. It's not even an engineering question. It's not like the the technology already exists. It's available for sale at your local electrical distributor. You just have to choose it. Um, I've been advocating on this show, uh, Mike, and not to interrupt you, but I I just am very passionate about what you're saying. And I just want to kind of throw this at you. I think the lighting industry, has a moral we've we've created so much light pollution in the last 10 years it's getting i think i i I heard ruskin on an interview with randy reed ruskin hartley who is the uh, for those listening is the executive director of 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 dark skies international um i heard him in an interview saying it's been going up for 10 percent a year or something like that for for a long time scary yeah it is scary that's really that's a scary number and then um you know, uh, you know, you talk about the lighting industry. I think should should change focus away from circadian, human health, and wellness, and all this sort of stuff, and say energy efficiency. And say, you know what? Our number one priority is to reduce light pollution or eliminate light pollution. And that you would get the energy savings, you would get the human health and wellness, you would get the circadian and all this sort of stuff. And the lighting industry is kind of like all over the place with these different issues. And on the, when it comes to the outdoor piece, Mike. I think that it, they should change their focus away from these individual elements, energy efficiency, carbon, and just say, we want to reduce light pollution. We want to eliminate light pollution. And if they did that as the sole focus, everything else would dovetail into that. Do you agree with that?
2: Um, yeah, I do. I also think uh, we've got to consider, certainly here in the UK, how would we best gain traction with, with government? So, you know, we've looked mm. at all, all, all of the, the regions that I outlined earlier, why protecting dark skies are important. We're not going to get any kind of traction if we say it's about everybody's right to see a starry sky because that just won't cut through as far as government legislation yeah, is true. concerned you know it has to be about some really serious uh, things like you know there's there's a huge drive at the moment for us for nature recovery and local nature recovery strategies mm-hmm. um, we can't we can't rule lighting out of that you know we talk about connectivity and hedgerows and uh and and woodland creation and improving that connectivity we've got to be just as serious about that at night you know we can't we look at some of the light pollution maps and we look at there's a a a transport corridor a a Mm -hmm. motorway uh in between the north york moore's national park and the yorkshire dales national park Um, and if you look at the light pollution map you know year on year that's just getting worse and worse and if we're not careful we end up we end up Cutting off two national parks from a connectivity perspective, mm. um, and that's the message that that we need to get through. So it needs to be about things like nature. It needs to be about things like uh, carbon reduction because they're they're the prime focus of the government at the moment. And if we can latch onto that, I'm mm. not saying it's it's necessarily uh, the simplest of messages, but if we can latch onto initiatives that are already there, then we're more likely to cut through than to to you know start something totally new and try and push it through. Um, See that—that's that, where I
0: think this Society for Light and Lighting and and um, I could could come in and 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 help out and say, you know, look, we 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 do need electric light at night. Yes, nobody's advocating for no electric light at night. That's not—that's never been advocated for by anyone that I've ever interviewed on this show. Um, but what we're saying is that we have technology that reduces this the pollution drastically and still provides the light that people need. We're just not doing that right now. One thing that made me sad that you said is though is that you know. Um, I do think being able to see a beautiful sky filled with stars is a human right. And and I think we denying our cultural heritage as a species. I mean, every historical building that you come across is orientated to the night sky. It's or it, you know, you have buildings, you know, this is where the star comes in and they see that you know, uh, the pyramids are orientated to um different constellations and all this sort of stuff. Like this is our heritage is up there as much as it is anywhere else.
2: Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not saying it's not important. Yeah, I've been lucky enough, as I'm sure you have, to sit through some some amazing, inspiring um talks by indigenous populations from around the world and, and
1: you know, beautiful access example
2: tonight's to yeah. skies are are absolutely fundamental to their culture, mm. you know, and the passing on uh, of stories. And you know, perhaps in in the West, in certain areas, you, we've kind of lost that 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 link. Um, and so it's maybe not quite as high up the agenda list. But mm. I, I I fully agree with you. I think it it is a fundamental right. We just have to be savvy about how best to get that traction. And ultimately, um, I'm I'm in favour of however we protect arts, guys. We, however we can cut through quickest and most effectively um is the is the route that we need to take.
0: Economics, you, you mentioned um you lots of publicity, lots of interest. Has that paid off at the cash till? Like have you guys seen an increase in park attendance or and fees and is it paying for itself in some way?
2: Yeah, so um we haven't got really up to date figures, but we've got some interesting stats that just put things into into kind of context. So pre COVID, as we were and we are still building our Dark Skies Festival, it's it's incredibly popular. We have well over a hundred events over a two-week period, and they mm. could be anything from stargazing, astrophotography, mindfulness walks, you know, yoga at night, everything you can think of. Really designed to get people outside um, at night. And interestingly, just sidetracking slightly, thinking about a cultural aspect mm. in a slightly non-obvious way we have lots of of uh folklore in the national park around yeah. um you know ghosts and ghoulies uh you sure. know out at night and and fundamentally these things uh were were basically created to dis- discourage people from being from being out at night mm. where they would see people that were up to no good so the smugglers and you know so sure. that there are there are lots of stories that are still you know interlinked with with dark skies even though it's not necessarily the way that we look at it um, in terms of the the economics uh 2019 over that two-week period for the businesses that took part um it was worth about half a million pounds to the rural economy hmm. um now to put that into perspective uh and that's a conservative estimate that's what we could uh, we could grasp we couldn't tell what they then went off and spent in a shop or a or a, or a or that you know during their stay
0: that's direct. Northumb- that's the direct benefit yeah yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. okay but North, northumberland national park who are way ahead of us in in time scale True. um probably about 10 years ahead of us it's worth 25 million pounds a year to their rural economy wow um now that doesn't tell the whole story because it's worth 25 million pounds a year at a time when businesses typically don't have much income Mm. So, typically, in what we call the shoulder season, the winter, the darker winter months where businesses are quiet, they're searching around for for extra revenue. And this just naturally fills that gap. Mm. Um, So, you know, it's not just the the pure figure, it's about the fact it fills in that gap and also doesn't put any more pressure on the already busy summer um, infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Sure. So it just ticks everybody's boxes.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, in terms of the, um, the you mentioned the politics side of it, and one of the things that, that I've um, been worried about, um, now I'm from, I'm Canadian, I'm not American, but, um, you know, you know Canada is very close to the US and so I'm aware of the politics down there and we have our own problems here in Canada, but I'm worried, I've always worried that this issue will become a political issue where, you know. One side will start screaming, "You want to take away people's electric light, and they need it." And the other side saying, "You're, you know, you're destroying this night sky." And they use the, they use it to divide, and they use it to, to create fear or to, you know, uh, shame people. I noticed that in your in your in your bio, it said all party parliamentary group. I love that. How did you guys accomplish that? How did you bring all the people together?
2: so um it wasn't necessarily something that we started um we have a number of these groups uh within um kind of politics in the uk and you know all party parliamentary is, is as it says it isn't one particular party that's driving this agenda um there are members of that group from across all different um political parties um and and as as is the case in many situations you 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 have to start with one individual who's quite passionate um about mm. this um, you know, so we have, um, you know, a, a particular member who will then start to to try and gather interest and then we'll start to look around and gather um, information. Um, and the best source of that information really was starting with the the dark sky reserves that existed mm-hmm. and then off the back of that, finding out that all those dark sky reserves and another of a number of other protected landscapes are already talking to each other and already have all the answers really that are needed mm. um for government to come up with with policies and so that resulted in this this um 10-part um plan um just you know all, all of the basics really and designed re- to show that it's not absolutely not about taking away um light at night mm. it's about responsible sensitive use uh, of light at night and i mean a good example of this I, I i would i would definitely use the word innocence in most cases and i'll give everybody the benefit of the doubt to begin with mm-hmm. rather than ignorance and so um as a i don't want to name names, I love that as, by the way
0: i love that that's perfect way yeah, to put it yeah
2: but but as as a as a, as a member of the public um, i wrote to my local mp um, you know, not trying to lobby through my role as a national park, because we, we're, we're not to do that, but wrote to my local MP to ask him to consider joining the the All-Party Parliamentary Group for Dark Skies. And I got a stock response, and the stock response was um, that if, if the local MP joined every APPG that everybody wanted <laughs> them to join, they'd hardly have any time left to do anything else. So, you know, I, I can accept that, and you, I guess you have to understand that they're probably need to look at these invites and see which are the ones they can they feel they can make most uh kind of impact you know and bring the most benefit to um so that that kind of it, it went a little bit quiet but then we opened a, a star hub up at one of our national park centers so it's not so grand as a, as being a, an observatory but it's a it's a it's a warm room with um like a dry stone wall uh lay benches big circle where you can put all the scopes out. Mm. Uh, people can lay back and watch the stars when they're, while they're waiting. And it's become quite a, a focal point for us and, and the press picked up on it. And so did our local MP and wanted to come along, you know, and have a look and, and sure. talk to us and, and see what was going on. So we took the opportunity for me to 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 roll up with my presentation, to talk about all the work that we're doing. And within 48 hours, the NP had signed, had signed up to the APPG. Awesome. Because because unless you get to talk to people, sure. the misconception is, it's about turning everybody's lights off. Yes. And when you're an MP who's responsible for the rural economy, for businesses, the residents, you know, you, you have to be careful about what you're being seen to be promoting. Sure. Of course. Uh, but once you get that message across, and, and I would say, you know, I said I, I've maybe done a hundred presentations, In in all honesty, in all of those presentations. To thousands of people, I've had one person um, tell me it was a complete and utter load of nonsense. He didn't <laughs> use the word nonsense; it was a bit stronger than that. But sure, uh, but I'll, uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll replace that word. Sure. Um, and so that really does tell me you're pushing on an open door with this message that people really do get it mm. once you have a chance to talk to them about it.
0: You know, I, I, you hear the dialogue between our political classes and in, in, in all the English speaking. Western nations. And it's a real turn off the discourse, you know, when you listen to them talk about the other person's opinion and all this sort of stuff. And I love the way that you've committed to persuasion and convincing. And, 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 you know, laying out the case for this very carefully and, you know, waiting. You know, I understand, like, if you're an MP, an MP, and we have MPs here in Canada, it's the same terminology we use. You're very busy, actually. It's a job. And, you know, you have a lot of people asking you for things. And so you get these stock answers back. But that doesn't mean that you give up. The, each one of those requests builds momentum in the movement. You know, every time someone calls their MP and says, Hey, have you thought about, you know, the national parks, uh, wherever, what they're doing with, uh, you know, with the night sky there and, and have you been there? And, and every time you do that, it pushes the movement forward and it's gaining momentum. And so I, I, I urge people, you know, sometimes people latch on, like you said to this, I know this now. So people that don't are ignorant and I, I don't like that starting point. You know, other people have their own lives are very busy um, <laughs> you know, they, they have their own concerns. They have, you know, maybe they sell light bulbs every day like me. And there's some issue I should be aware of that I'm not aware of right now. And, you know, and, and when I come across it, you know, hopefully, you know, I can be convinced and persuaded. And I think that, you know, uh, that's that, that perspective that you've adopted is the most effective. I, and although people have to be patient with it, it's the best way to get through to people is to persuade them, Mike. And so I'm very, I'm very glad that that that's happening. Um, in terms of um, England, so England's a separate jurisdi- jurisdiction from the U.K., or is it England and Scotland are together?
2: Yeah, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland.
0: So they're um, all, but they're all under the same, uh, there's the same, it's the same Government in London that that rule that is in charge of all the dark skies in the UK, or is there a separate government in Scotland that does it, and one in Northern Ireland it, and Wales?
2: It, 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 it's separate. Uh, so, well, so Wales and Scotland um, are separate, and actually, it, it's not quite as 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 easy to say that the government are in charge of the, the, the dark sky reserves because we we're, we're effectively a government funded uh, organisations, and there are lots of national parks around the UK. Some of them have dark sky reserve designations some of them don't some of them either haven't got around to it and are on the start of that journey some of them sadly uh are national parks that are, are pretty much surrounded if not already being infiltrated by um, artificial light at night such that they would never get um mm. dark sky reserve status um so yes um, we're defra funded but each national park is is generally speaking in charge of their own kind of destiny you know there are management plans uh, the way that they they, they manage the, the the national park itself, and national parks typically are made up uh, are not necessarily that they 're not owned by the national park. Um, some of them have have large parts in ownership, but mm-hmm. the majority don't so we have to work with landowners, with organizations to bring them along on this journey so okay, there 's so private
0: we, property within the park
2: oh it's it's predominantly private property.
0: Ah, and so how yeah. is it how is it dealing with the landowners? Are they on board? Are they excited about this? And and do you have resistance so, so from them?
2: Y- yeah, no resistance, or none yet, touch wood. Um mm. what we what we have is or what we had to do is quite a lot of consultation um up front. Mm. Um so the difference between a dark sky reserve and a dark sky park, typically a dark sky park is under single ownership, land ownership, mm-hmm. sure. and a dark sky reserve is, is under multiple um uh, ownership. So we've, we've had to engage with, consult with, um, forestry commission, national trust, wildlife trusts, uh, ministry of defense, as well as other private landowners <laughs> and really get this message across that it's wow. not about, you know, uh, plunging people into darkness. It's about using light properly. Um, and the best, the best vehicle for, for kind of illustrating that for us has, has definitely been demonstration projects. So we've worked with, uh, we've worked with property owners more recently, and, and I think the reason we're sat here talking is off the back of a, a fairly large project um, deliv- being delivered by the Mexborough estate, one of our big landowners in Hornby village, um, to to convert the whole village to be dark sky friendly, um, to have dark sky friendly lighting. So village halls, pubs, um, little shops, uh, and a few farms and also all the residential properties and, and, accommodation providers. Now, although that sounds relatively easy to do with a single It sounds
0: impossible to do actually. I'm sorry. That's like, ex- I sell lighting every day and I'm considered an expert. I'm the, I have, I do light multiple lighting podcasts and I have a very difficult time selling um, this type of equipment to people. I am so
2: excited to hear that you've done entire villages. How the heck did you do that? Well, the, the, the it sounds easy because the whole village is owned by the estate so mm-hmm. most people there are tenants they all rent their properties but what we're really keen to ensure is that we don't just use a landowner to to ride roughshod over sure the, the tenants and say you know you like it or lump it you'll get the light that we say mm. what we wanted to ensure is that we talked to the the property owners we talk to the business owners and say okay we're going to try this and if we don't get it right we'll tweak it we'll change it because what we want every single one of those property owners to do is to talk to other people and say my lighting's fantastic you yeah. know and and that's the way we spread that message and we've got some great images now from other from farm projects from visitor centers where we've converted the lighting and when you're sat in front of somebody trying to explain what you mean, there's no better way to do that than to just show them before and after images sure. of horrendous glaring floodlights replaced <laughs> with really sure. nice, well-targeted. Lo-
0: um, it's, no, it, the lighting that's done this way is better. It's so much nicer, actually. It's more beautiful. Now, did, now, let me ask you, who had to pay? Did the tenants pay? Did the landlord pay? Was there subsidies? Tell me a little bit about the execution of it on the financial side
2: yeah so we have a bit of a sliding scale as far as the lighting improvement scheme is concerned, and what I should say is where the money comes from okay. um, so in the national park we don 't have too many big developments, as you might imagine. You know large developments mm-hmm. are, are typically not not necessarily welcomed in the national park, although we can 't turn away from the potential economic benefits to to you know local employment and, and the like sure. so we have We have a couple of, of largest developments one 's been here uh, for a, a number of years, twenty plus years. And it was a potash mine, um, and now it's a polyhalite mine, so a polyhalite um, fertilizer. And then more recently, we had a planning application for the same for a new polyhalite mine. And so what we have in the UK, and you may have similar things over there, is we have what are called Section 106 payments. Mm-hmm. So these payments uh, are made by the developer to an authority. So in our case, the National Park Authority, but in other cases, it could be uh, a town council or a parish council. And sure. the money to, is to compensate for the, the impacts of the development. Uh, and in the case of something like a town council, that can typically be spent on whatever the town council sees fit to offset mm-hmm. that. But in the case of the national park, we, had to, we, we, we worked very hard on identifying the specific categories of impact that a mine development would have. Mm-hmm. And they are things like you know impact on the landscape, impact on the natural environment, impact on tranquillity, and tranquility is the is the is the category in which lighting sits mm-hmm. So we have an amount of money to be spent on not just maintaining but improving tranquillity. It's not just about the status quo, it's about using that money to improve things. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, the, the mine is still in, in its development phase, in its construction phase. But once it goes into operational phase, uh, it's a, it's quite um, a unique design. So they don't have big towers. All the winding is horizontal underground. So there's this limited landscape impact. And... Their lighting will have to be best of the best. You know, they'll have to make sure, and we will make sure that that lighting is absolutely best in class because we can't have payments being made elsewhere mm-hmm. to compensate for an organisation that doesn't get it, or a business that doesn't get it right. Sure, um, but of course, through the construction phase, they have to have lots of light to do the various, you know, big big construction um, uh, elements of the project. That's not to say we don't visit twice a year to look at the lighting and make sure they're constantly making improvements, but there's, there's obviously going to be a bigger impact during construction than there mm-hmm. will be for sure. um, during the, the, uh, the, the operational phase. Mm-hmm. So that's where the money comes from and it isn't a, a scheme whereby anybody can apply for, you know, a, a light bulb for an existing fixture in the north of the park and a, and a single light on a property in the south of the park because we, that, would, that would make no discernible improvement. Mm-hmm. so we look at strategically important locations we look at bigger locations we work with landowners that can that can uh make improvements on clusters of properties mm. it could be big big farms it could be a, a whole valley you know working with the national trust there's a valley at bransdale and they have a lot of tenant farmers there and we've got a rolling program now farm by farm of improving their lighting mm. and similarly at hornby we looked at that in its entirety and said can we come up with a program that will allow us to, to change um, all of those lights? Now, in some cases, it could be a single pub. It could be a large pub on the ridge of a valley, intrinsically sure. dark area. And we really want to improve that lighting. So we'd be prepared to pay up to 100% of installation wow. and, and equipment uh, and fixture sorry, to, to make changes. In other cases... With a landowner, for instance, we come to an agreement where, you know, they may pay the install, we may pay the um, uh, the fixture costs or, or, you know, somewhere in between on that on that sliding scale. If it's a property on the edge of a, a large village or we've got one town that's partly in the national park, well, clearly that's not going to make a huge difference if we change a few buildings on the edge of a town. Mm mm-hmm. Um, so that might be at the lower end of the scale in terms of our, our financial contribution. Um, but we have flexibility um, to do whatever is needed um, to, to make changes where those changes are going to make the biggest difference.
0: So you've rank ordered them. So you got your lowest fruit at the top and you got you got a scale going down. You have financial incentives at in some cases up to 100 percent of the of the project cost and depending on its importance, I guess, to the park. Is that how it's ranked? Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And then who do you have that's executing for you? Do you have recommended specifiers that are trained in this kind of lighting? Like who's actually going there and making the specification for these folks?
2: So what we've been quite careful to do is we could have gone out and we could have worked with single businesses and gone out to tender because from a procurement regulations perspective, we'd have to go out to tender if we were recommending a specific organization, either from, from a lighting fixtures perspective or from an install perspective. Sure. But we didn't want to do that. You can't we, be
0: endorsing to, a manufacturer or a business. Yeah, I no, understand. Uh,
2: we don't, uh, we, we don't want to do that. But what we want to do is bring as many businesses along with us as we possibly can, mm. um, and the biggest difference that i found, um, is first of all, talking to the local installers. So I may start talking to. Um, so we've got, uh, you know, maybe a riding stable, sure, and they've got a lot of light. You know, there's a lot of value in racehorses, and there's sure security concerns, and you know, we can put security to one side for a minute because, you know, we 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 obviously will have different views on. You know, light isn't isn't lots of light doesn't improve security, uh, but anyway, I'll leave that to one side. Um, but before even going down the path of of making any changes, we'll talk to the installer that does typically does all their work for them
0: mm-hmm.
2: and get that installer on board so that they understand why we're doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because they'll that one installer will then go to 10 times as many jobs as I can ever get to. Yeah, of course. And they'll start to push out that message. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the installer. So the installer could be quite a large business, it could maybe have 10, 20 employees all going out installing. It could be a man in a van that's just, you know, one chap. Who it's it's his uh, he's a sole trader, uh, and that's what he does. You know, he does electrical installation. But we've also got local suppliers. Um, some of them are larger suppliers who are part of a national ch- chain, but but mm-hmm. in charge of of what they stock locally. Mm-hmm. Um, or we've got you know we've got a local uh, business electrical um, retailer. So they'll they'll install fridges mm-hmm. and install TVs and sure. they've got they sell lights as well. Uh, And those two businesses are totally on board now. So what we're, what we, the agreement we've got, which is amazing, is one of them is going to take out all of their current display of outside lights because they're not dark sky friendly, Mm -hmm. and they're going to replace it with a display of dark sky friendly lights with a backdrop that is a starry sky, amen, and the national and the national park logo on top of the backdrop, Mm -hmm. and and a stack of leaflets on the counter explaining, love that protecting dark skies. And so it, it, we could have gone one route and just be, you know, single supplier, single installer, but we'd, we'd miss out on the, the ability to spread that message. You're,
0: you're, you're excluding the entrepreneurship, which is the best part, right? You, yeah. get, you build, the, you build the, the movement. And I love the fact that the business is paying for their own showroom and, 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 and now people can come to the business and be educated about this. You guys can't replicate that. No matter how many people you hire, more people are going to be going into a lighting business. This is why I I, I often advocate that we need the lighting industry to really embrace the issue. And I I try to tell them, this is not about selling less lights. It's about selling more lights. Uh, more expensive lights, better lights. This is, you know, we need to turn this issue into a Gucci suit, Mike, where where lighting companies are like, come on, you got to go dark skies. Everyone's going darkness restoration now, night preservation. What's wrong with you? You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's, that's so wonderful to hear. That's one of the greatest developments I've heard since I started this show, to be honest with you, Mike, that there's a business in the UK that has set up, has removed their display of outdoor lighting and put in uh, a display of, of fixtures that are going to preserve night in the park i love it i absolutely love it mike
2: yeah and, and it has to happen on many levels you know what we want is we want local people to be able to buy locally because that benefits mm, the local economy yes but not everybody does that um so we've got another um, chap who's who's set up an online um, site um selling only dark sky friendly lighting oh,
0: it's So amazing. he's, he's
2: He's been involved in the uh, the kind of the national group of protected landscapes. Who get together once or twice a year to talk about all of these issues, um, and and he set up this this online site. So whether you want to buy online, if that's your preference, mm. or whether you want to go down to the local retailer, both both bases are covered.
0: This is the most exciting story I've heard, Scott. Since we the most practical application. Of all of this, I've spoken, spoken to researchers and designers and all sorts of groups of people. But I love this measurement. How are you guys measuring the results? Like, you know, how do you know what you're doing is effective?
2: So that there are, in theory, there's a scientific way and there's a non-scientific way. <laughs> um, you'd think that the scientific way would be the best, but actually, um, probably the best way is to just look and see the difference between before and after. Mm. Um, now we, we we do take readings. We have uh, we have a, a a group of volunteers who've got the little SQN uh, meters, uh, and we've got uh, over a dozen of those. Uh, they'll, they'll take meter readings um, throughout the year, typically in the darker months, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll, we're building up. I mean, we're only into our just into our third year, so we're building up a, um, a record of, of those readings. We've also got access to the uh, light pollution um, map. But what we've got to realise is that. You can't just look year on year and say, well, it got worse this year. So therefore light pollution is, is much worse because there are so many other factors. Mm-hmm. Atmospheric conditions play a huge part. Sure. We've kind of had a particularly wet winter, lots of moisture in the air. Mm. You know, that, that can impact uh, the readings. We could also just, just miss those darkest nights. You know, the volunteers weren't available on those nights, so they couldn't get out or they weren't out late mm. enough. So what we're doing is we're adding to that with some fixed meter locations. Mm-hmm. So we've got five at the moment and we're looking to add another three. Mm -hmm. So we'll have eight permanent meters um, dotted around the National Park, which are monitoring the skies every single night of every single day. Mm. And that will allow us to build up a lot of data. But then what we've got to do is you've got to interpret that data. (laughs) We've got to overlay whether it was a cloudy night, was it a clear night, um, and, and really get some meaningful information and results out of that. And I think what we've then got to do is we've got to look at, it's probably going to be a minimum rolling five-year period of looking at whether any changes have, have,
0: mm.
2: have happened because as I say if you look one year to the next you can be fooled into thinking either things have significantly improved or got significantly worse and mm. in one year that's not going to be the case
0: yeah it's it, there there needs to be you need again there's so many confounding factors that are involved with it that it's it, you need time you just need time and measurement and and then things will start to the smoke will start to clear so to speak as as you move forward with the data um i wanted to to and we're almost coming up on can you believe it 40 minutes here um i wanted to talk to you a little bit about this tranquility uh thing a word that you mentioned and and oftentimes on this show we you know, silence is sort of a, um, a proxy for darkness. The two kind of go together, even in our, in our spiritual minds and in our archetypally thinking about it, like even the background behind me, you know that that area is also silent while being dark, right? The tranquility, how, how do you guys, how did that become a factor in assessment, like tranquility it sounds like it sounds some it sounds like something's so unscientific, impossible to measure you know like i it's a, it's almost a feeling right it's not even uh, tranquility sure. how did that become the the as a part of your 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 assessment process or something
2: i I, th- I think it probably started it start certainly started pre um dart sky reserve application so we did uh, as a national park authority we did what we call a, a tranquility mapping exercise. Mm. And we looked at areas of the National Park that are our, uh, a minimum distance away from a road or a, a postcode, an a inhabited area. And, and we used that to influence future policy decisions on what we would or wouldn't allow in terms of development in certain areas. So if an area was intrinsically tranquil, we wouldn't allow something. Who decided that? In that? area. <laughs> well, that, that, that was the mapping. So the mapping okay. was, if it's in an area that is... I can't remember if it was one or two kilometers away from a, the nearest road mm-hmm. or from the nearest inhabited um, property, then mm-hmm. it was classed as tranquil. Okay. And if you then go and dump something in that, that, that affects that tranquility, be it a house, be it, um, I, don't, I don't know, I'm thinking of examples now, be it uh, an agricultural barn or a shed or, sure. or something that increases activity in that area, then because it was classed as tranquil, there would be we would be stricter on, on what could could happen there fast forward well not fast forward actually I'm probably in parallel with that we were having the discussions through the planning application stage for the polyhalite mine and what were the impacts of the mine well the impacts of the mine were were noise um, and light now at the time um you know looking back perhaps we could have done something slightly different um but at the time the key thing that we identified as an impact on tranquility for the mind development and then in life was light. Mm. Um, And so that's why a a proportion of that of the section 106 payments is, is ring fenced to be spent on reducing light pollution every year for a hundred years from the the granting of planning permission for the mind development. Hmm. Now the hope is, my hope is that we don't have to rely on that for 100 years because i i really do hope that inside of 100 years we've got some legislation which which helps control lighting rather than just us trying to spend money to do it um every year but we know we've got we've got money to do some really good work and to develop those demonstration projects which give us those images to show people what it's all about and you know keep stressing this every time i can I start every meeting that I go to, every presentation, that I am not the bloke who's come to tell you to turn all your lights off. (laughs) But I am the guy who's come to tell you to use your light sympathetically, responsibly, for Mm. all of those good reasons that that I, I outline at each stage.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because this, that you you know you're messaging in that and where you're starting from is a national park and that's why we often use the terms restoring darkness and preserving night and those are two different things right so preserving night is what you're doing in the in a national park and it it seems natural people it seems obvious there's no there isn't a lot of immediate pushback against that and so the preserving night people there's you know funding from you know in terms of the, the mine that, that, you know, applied for a permit to open and then you guys get brought in and there everyone's on board. Okay, yeah, we want the mine here, but we want to keep the tranquility. We want to get rid of the light pollution. It's not as hard. The restoring darkness is going to require legislation. The restoring darkness is going to require enforcement along a carrot and a stick. Um, and that's where we're we're trying to, um, you know, restore uh, darkness where in, in our light-polluted c- cities and landscapes. Um, that's going to be harder um but you know they're both important and and right now you know when you're you're preserving that night you can bring people there and show them it so you start to build a movement you start to begin advocates you start giving them statistics about light pollution why do we need so much light i mean you know we we didn't have it in the past and then you explain that you know it's it's not about being against electric light at night that's not what we're talking about, and 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 I love the way you're doing it, Mike. Before we close out, um, did I miss anything? Is there anything that you'd want to share with the listeners before you? No, I, I think off? that
2: we often we often talk about one of my aims. So I started off, I think, in my bio, it says within the the, the tourism department in developing the Dark Sky Festival to mm. help the rural economy. But it was always my my aim to make sure that protecting dark Skies was part of every department's role within the national park. And mm-hmm. that included our conservation department It's conservation and climate change. Now, which actually it ticks both of those, mm. uh, it ticks both of those boxes. Um, and often when we think about dark skies, we do think about access to seeing stars, but when we, when we think seriously about nature and nocturnal connectivity and nocturnal habitats, um, yes there are the you know the stars are important uh to to certain creatures but darkness is is the most important thing so Mm. irrespective of whether it's a clear night or a cloudy night Mm -hmm. nature doesn't like artificial light at night and actually you can get a lot higher light readings when you've got low cloud because of that bounce back um, effect um and so you know we it almost doesn't matter from a nature perspective whether we're protecting it for stargazing or we're protecting it for nature. There are multiple strings to this, and you know we talked about that. But the multifaceted, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to, to kind of to lose that fact. In terms of legislation, we have got some legislation in the UK, but it's very, very rarely enforced. So mm. we used to have the Environmental Health Act; it's now called the Cleaner Neighbourhoods Act. And within that, there's the there's the ability of a local authority to enforce um removal of nuisance lighting um,
0: that's more about uh, light trespass though than light pollution is it not it,
2: yeah yeah it is um typically i will not say they always go hand in hand but typically if you've got a horrible floodlight that's mounted at 45 degrees half of it onto your na- third of it onto your neighbor's property a third of it into the sky and a third sure. of it onto where they actually actually want it the the issue with that is that um, the the knowledge, the training, the information available um, and also the manpower available is, is, is such that that is very, very rarely enforced. In fact, what we tend to get is we get people complain to their local council who are the only people that can, that can take enforcement action. And the local council says, oh, contact the National Park. They know all about dark skies.
0: Yeah.
2: And the only teeth we've got is planning. You, you know, The sure. only authority we've got is in planning, which is new mm. developments, not sure. retro. Retrospectively, on the
0: the 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 problem with the you know in Canada you have your local and bylaw enforcers would be in charge of light trespass. They have no measurement tools, no training, right? They have one person that wants a light, the other person doesn't want the light. They're almost mitigating. They're almost like mitigating a dispute, you know. Whereas if you leave your garbage outside in the summer, that's against bylaw number whatever, right? you can't. You have to store your garbage inside of a bin with a locked. Thing on it, right? So the, the 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 problem with enforcement is also technical, right? That you know we need to give the tools to the inspectors to be able to enforce it. They don't know what to do. They're 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 more like ah, you know, it's tough for them to decide. But you know what? At the end of the day. There was that famous quote from the U.S. Supreme Court Justice when he was asked, how do you know the difference between art and pornography? He goes, you know, I can't technically describe it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I think, I think light trespass is kind of like that as well, and light pollution is like that. You, you know, yeah, maybe we don't know how to measure it perfectly, but every, you know, people on that are at this point in this movement where you and I are, we know light pollution when we see it right away. And, and that's so, why
2: I said to you previously, you know, how do you measure it? Well, yeah. it's difficult to measure it, but you, you absolutely know a good example and a bad example. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yep. I, um, I, couldn't agree I think
2: more. I, I often wrap up with saying that we we haven't yet had our plastics moment. Yes. And by that, I mean that David Attenborough, that, that you know, yeah. that whatever it is on, on TV that that really gets everybody, I should say, switched on, switched off um, to to the particular um, uh issue but i think it's growing and you said earlier on momentum is growing you know we have there's probably not a few weeks go by where there's not another article talking about the impacts of artificial um light at night we've got you know we've got long-standing organizations like the royal horticultural society Mm. and for years they've been encouraging people to you know to um Aesthetically light certain areas, maybe gardens or parks, etc. And now mm. they've got an area on their website which talks about if you want wildlife to thrive in those areas, you might want to think twice <laughs> sure. about that. And when we see big organisations like that, you know, really starting to wake up to these things, um, then we, we know we're starting, you know, we're starting to get there. And we just we just need more of that.
0: It's entering the cultural zeitgeist. We we track um, all of the. Um... All of the news related to dark sky preserves, darkness restoration, scientific studies we be posted on the restoringdarkness.com website. So if you're listening to this, go to restoringdarkness.com, click darkness news, and you're going to see every article in the world in English posted there. I don't know if every single one, but a lot of them are. And then also on our LinkedIn. And it's just it, we've started that gosh two years ago Mike and it's just more and more and more in the news every single week we get you know we were thinking of starting a special newsletter just on this type of news because it's the vo- it's so voluminous now it used to be a little tiny section in our, in our lighting industry news brief and now every week there's 10 15 stories in that section from all over the english-speaking world so you're absolutely right you can feel the zeitgeist them the movement is changing into is moving into the cultural zeitgeist and starting to be absorbed we haven't hit our plastics moments like 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 you said but it's coming soon greta turnberg and all you climate changers the the darkness restoration dark skies people are coming and we are going to uh be the number because the, the thing i like about this movement mike is it's solvable it's not hopeless Just, there's no uh, there's, uh, it's not hopeless about it right
2: uh, absolutely you know you think about the you know you can be you, you can be paralyzed into inaction with certain types of pollution sure. you know how do you solve microplastics in the oceans and the rivers particulates in the air you know massive amounts of money will have to be spent to solve those problems whereas generally speaking controlling light saves money yep payback yep yeah. um and so yeah and you know, I suppose that's thing- a great point what
0: environmental issue do you know that you could put money at that will give you a 5 or 10 year payback in energy savings like yep. there it's it's this is a no brainer for all, and also all the climate changers out there if you guys, like, this is the best way to do mitigation. I mean, it, it will work. It will reduce the energy consumption drastically if we if we do this correctly, especially if we're able to involve some of those, um, uh, uh, you know, advanced lighting controls, Mike, where, you know, where we can then dim and warm. And, and adjust lighting and give maybe the people in the neighborhood the ability to control it if they want it and if it's off, if they don't want it, you know, I mean, there's really powerful tools available. We get moving. We're coming up on 50 minutes here. So um, I'm going to thank Mike Houghton, North York uh, Moors National Park. Thanks for joining us on the Restoring Darkness podcast.
1: Look no further for dark sky friendly products than Evluma. Since its first product launch, Evluma has carried one or more International Dark Sky Association-certified models. If your customer cares about light pollution, suggest the Omnimax with shielding or the AreaMax with full cutoff to reduce uplight and glare. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of darkness.